And I looked over to the lean-to, to the stick, and there was these tiny little snails crawling up and down the wood. And I looked at my mom again, and then I looked back at the snails, and I realized I had to be with the snails. That was Rocket Dog Rescue founder Paley Boucher. Welcome to Storied San Francisco. I'm your host, Jeff Hunt. In this episode, Paley takes us on a wild journey through her childhood. The story in this podcast starts in Marin County at houseboat parties and ends with Paley dyeing her hair on a beach in Los Angeles after she discovered punk rock. Here's Paley. Okay, I'm going to tell you right now, like, I have no family history. My dad, I don't know, I don't remember, I've never been uh, told that I've had grandparents. I assume that I do. I did. By and default, yeah. You, yeah, you I did. mean, I. Um, my mother was um, on drugs when I was in her womb. Okay. You know, uh, you can't hardly even tell. Um, <laughs> and um, she was, uh, you know, she was like a flower child that, okay. that where things just kind of, fell apart you know and and quickly disintegrated into like mental illness and drug addiction and so she was like out on the street my dad was a a rock and roll disc jockey and uh you know like back then it was like that was a rock star world you know and uh all the musicians in the bay area you know would be at his house all the time and stuff and uh you know i lived with my mom homeless on the street you know we lived out in um you know uh homeless camps and um uh, you know, like uh, hippie communes that were really just mm-hmm. homeless camps in the in the woods, and uh, you know, we uh, I was born a ward of the court to an unfit mother. Okay. So that's a a thing. They right. don't have that anymore, but they let kids stay out there with their mom. You know, uh, and so I don't have a lot of family history. I didn't really get that um, that kind of a childhood where you have you know a grandma and a and an auntie and I'm sure they were there. <laughs> what about siblings? Did you We had um my dad probably had I think it was five or six children, all with different women. It was okay. a, it was a, you know, sixties. It was the, and my yeah, mom had three children uh with different fathers. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, there was siblings but we were also broken apart, you know, also scattered about. Right. So we didn't really get to be raised together. Do you know if your dad, you said your dad was a, a DJ, was he from here as well? or? I believe my dad was from Venice, California. Okay. Uh, uh, he's, uh, he was like, uh, his name was Paul Boucher. He was a rock and roll DJ back in the day, and it was insane. The world then was crazy. You know, like, at any given time, you'd be like, having these big parties and like Van Morrison like came in and knocked some dude out right in the living room and you know Steve Miller showed up like drunk with the police following him wait wait it was crazy you know (laughs) so that's the world um uh that you came into what are some of your earliest memories are they in San Francisco you know I'm gonna be really honest with you I um I was raised uh never really knowing where we were or where we were going to be. Um, I would end up in places I didn't know how we got there. I don't have any recollection of anybody making me food or getting me dressed or making a bed for me or any of the things that like most normal people would be like, oh yeah, that was like happened every day. It's like I don't ever have a memory of anything like that happening. And I... um so I, I honestly, I grew up all over and, you know, uh, we were out in um, Calaveras County, out in the big tree in the woods. You know, we were, uh, uh, we hitchhiked to Mexico okay. and ended up in a Mexican prison for a year, 
you know, with our mom, they didn't have foster homes, you know, that's, right. we, we were, uh, we would live on houseboats out in, you know, Sausalito, back when it was like wild, wild west over there, you know, half the people out there were wanted by the FBI. Right. And uh, yeah, and then other, the other half were poets. Maya Angelou lived out there and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, incredible artists and it was, you Isn't know. Isn't that where Dock of the Bay was written out in Sausalito? I can't even imagine yeah. that it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. that seems yeah. about right. Yeah. <laughs> when would you say that you have memories of San Francisco? It was like, like your teen years or? Yeah. Um, I have memories of Marin County a lot, memories of um, Sausalito um, during the days, you know. But I would think that, um, you know, I... Uh, I have this crazy photographic memory that okay. it's like I can tell you every single element of what was happening like it was a like happening like a movie right in front of me. I can tell you every detail of it, but I have no idea what year it was. That's fine. You know, I'm just like I lived from moment to moment with no history and no future. I just lived in that moment. I never knew what was coming in the early years. I never knew where we were going to be mm -hmm. and I lived out there like a feral child. Okay. You know? What was it like it's with your, let, let's hear I some mean, of those photographic memories. You know, I lived, I, I remember being in this, um, this, I remember first of all that I wore a tiger outfit for like, God, it could have been a year. I don't know. As you do. Yeah. And it's like, I was little though, you know? Right. And I remember opening the refrigerator and, um, and this is a big like party commune house. I remember cause I was little, I had to reach up for the, um, handle on the refrigerator I was so hungry and I opened the refrigerator and there was nothing in the refrigerator but a bottle of orange juice and I knew I couldn't drink it because it was full of LSD okay you know what I mean it's yeah, like yeah. I I looked at it and I was like mm. and I don't know at what age that you're that you learn that you're not supposed to drink the orange juice specifically right. <laughs> Okay, and it's like so. There I am in my ragged little dirty tiger suit, and I haven't seen my mom for over a week. Don't know where she is. Like, there's all these like, like wild like people just partying and just like weird stuff happening. And um, I walk outside, and there's um, you know, there's like a couch was on fire, and I'm walking around, and I'm like, this isn't right. And I walk over, and there was a some hippie dude like with a belt sander, like sanding his foot, and I'm like, that's not right in my head, you know. As a tiny child, I'm like, mm. so I like walk off to the next thing, and then the um, and then the park rangers were there, hmm. and the park rangers were like, this is really dangerous. This cou this couch is on fire, and you could burn down the forest. And I'm looking at the guy, and I realize I'm the only one that's hearing him. Hmm. I'm the only one present enough. Everybody was so because whacked you out. High. They were so loaded, and I was a child. And I, there's something about being in that moment, and it's not like I had anything to compare it to. It's not like I had a normal childhood and then found myself there. Right. This was like, I was in this place where I was really present but I also had to like numb things down mm -hmm. so I didn't go crazy and something in you knew that the couch on fire was wrong like you, you knew oh, I knew it was wrong. wrong and I knew that the guy was so upset and so frustrated and he was just trying to talk and nobody could focus on him or or listen and I was looking at him and I was helpless because I couldn't talk really I didn't know what to say it's like yeah this is crazy man mm -hmm. this ain't right <laughs> and it's like but I don't know what other people do I'm just like mm, you know right. I but being what, what is it 
a young kid in a tiger suit supposed to do in that situation? Right. And then, yeah, yeah. And then tiger suit still that, that a ways down the road, uh, there was a police raid. And um, I was hiding under, somebody threw like something on top of me. I was like hiding on a bed, you know. And um, there was uh, um, cops just, just beating everybody up and putting handcuffs on everybody and like throwing them in the corner of the room. And I was so afraid because I thought that the handcuffs were going to cut my hands off. Mm. And I... Um, That's reasonable though. Yeah. I, like, if you're a kid and you don't know what the handcuffs are. Right. Like, they're going to... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's just like these moments in time where... Uh, and it's like one moment is very much like the next moment when you're unsure and you have no idea what's happening and you're just 100% feral. Mm -hmm. You're riding on your instincts. You're looking over your shoulder. You're checking it out. You're trying to keep yourself safe. You're trying to keep your mom from getting arrested. Like how in the world did I know as a tiny child how to talk to police so that my mom and us wouldn't get arrested? I was like, oh no, we're going home right now. Our dad is going to be mad if we're not home. And it's like, you know, we got to... We gotta, um, we gotta go now. And I just like pull her down the street, and the cops would be like, you know, what? You know? Yeah. And it's like, I, I, um, you know. You were almost like the dip, like a diplomat, in a weird, or like right, or like a negotiator or something. Well, yeah. <laughs> like you had to be. I had to be yeah. right. There's like a million stories, and I could, I could, I could tell you all of them, and they were all pretty spectacular but I'll tell you a time you know there was a lot of scary times I was there's violence and chaos and guns and drugs and you're out there and um and you really just like nobody's telling you where to go to be okay right you know and my mom she really loved us but she made bad choices for us she didn't know how to make good choices for herself she didn't know how to do it she didn't know how to do it and you know i know that she was dealing with depression or Mm -hmm. mental illness and drugs Mm -hmm. you know all of it you know i didn't know that then i was just like i i remember my mom cooking one thing for me okay and that was um a giant pan of like fried like gloppy fried red onions smothered and thousand island dressing that sounds amazing (laughs) (laughs) it was her specialty (laughs) she's like i know you love this and i'm like okay i'm like oh (laughs) i'm tempted to make it again now just to to reenact that experience i'd put i'd maybe make that and put it on something (sighs) or like dip it use it as a dip or something (laughs) that sounds awesome yeah well so when when did you i guess come into your own when did you get away from that world my mom died when i was 10 i um i uh was living in a few foster homes they would put us in foster homes you know um throughout our lives like little bits and pieces and um then we go back with our mom but uh you you know i gotta tell you that during all of this time and this might be way too heavy to even discuss like you know with all of the strangers out there but you know there was like sexual abuse I was like being sexually abused my brother was being sexually abused my sister um was actually taken away and lived with her grandma so she wasn't there but we were like covered in sores and infected like uh what is it when your skin is called impetigo I think okay your skin is infected and like it's like naked and dirty and it's like you know I had to learn how to um protect myself um 
by um, disengaging from those things. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, and actually, I'm just going to tell you this because it really means a lot to me. And it's like, this is like one of those things where I know that the universe has to has looked out for me and holds me in its hands. Mm -hmm. You could totally tell I was raised by hippies, right? And um, and that was when we woke up and the beach and um, it was we had like a lean to. My mom was next to me and maybe there was somebody next to her. I don't know. My mom was next to me. She was out cold. I was a tiny child and I had diapers on and I couldn't. I had to go to the bathroom. I was like hungry. There was a million things going on. I I kept looking over at her. So we've got this lean to, which is just two sticks in the ground with a garbage bag over us. Mm -hmm. Okay, to keep us dry which didn't work we were freezing and wet mm -hmm. and my mom was out cold lord mm -hmm. knows how long she'd been awake so she was out cold and she wasn't going to wake up anytime soon i literally didn't know if she would ever wake up right. like one of those things so i looked at her and felt incredible like anxiety mm -hmm. in the moment from all of those things mm -hmm. and i looked over to the lean-to to the stick and there was these tiny little snails crawling up and down the wood and i looked at my mom again and then I looked back at the snails and I realized I had to be with the snails hmm. so I just sat there and just like focused everything on them just all going up and down and just like lost myself in that because I needed to be safe right you know what do you think it was about the snails I don't know I mean there's like uh there's all the things that snails stay like you know s slowness being very deliberate yes exactly and, like and it enabled me to anchor my right. my anxiety and anchor that and then the feeling of safety and um just being there and it was like so methodical and mm. they were just going up and down tiny little snails and calm yeah yeah meditative almost yeah so yeah. and um uh so you know um when my mom died i was 10 and uh they uh I was in a foster home at the time. We'd been in a foster home for a few months. Uh, she was really sick. She was in the hospital. She was dying of alcoholism. Mm. And um, and then she died. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think we went to her funeral. We were the only one there. Mm. Her doctor was there. Interesting. And he was crying. Mm. Like, she impacted people. People loved my mom. She was just really fucked up. Yeah. Just couldn't, like, like get above it, you know? Yeah. And um, so um, at that point, I... Um, they, my dad was, they asked my dad to adopt me and, you know, because I had been custody of my mother mm -hmm. and he didn't want to take in my little brother because he had a different father hmm. and they separated us, which was really heartbreaking. Yeah. You we had were spent like, a lot of time with your brother. We were just like point. constant, you yeah. know, we were constantly like together. Right. Uh, you know what? And it's very interesting. Um, so the story about the snails I realized my brother wasn't there, and he was three years younger than me, so I must have been about three. Oh, or, wow. like, that's how young I was. Oh, wow. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And um, so, anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, you and your brother got split up. We got split up. And he went to a, um, a family in Healdsburg and ended up being... It wasn't uh, a good situation for him mm. at all. And okay. I don't really know because we ended up like really losing track of each other for a long time. Right. Um, but he fell into a pattern of like really heavy alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I went to live with my dad. Um, at that point, I was already on a path. I was just like, I didn't, I mean, I was, I was 10, right? And I was emulating Janis Joplin while other people were like emulating like the Partridge family or right, whatever, right? right? I was right. just like, 
I wanted to be Janis Joplin. I wanted to be fatalistic. I wanted to be intense. I wanted to like be really good at being really bad, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just where I felt the that my that's where that was my role model, mm-hmm. you know. That was it, you know. Do and, you know where you lived with your dad? And uh, Marin County in Cornelmadera. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so during that time, I um, just started drinking, uh, drinking, experimenting with drinking, doing a lot of, a lot of LSD. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an experience the first time I did LSD. Um, I took LSD by myself, and I had all my dad's dogs because I kept collecting dogs and bringing them home to my dad's house. I'm like, Dad, I found this dog. So he had like 12 cats or something at that point. It's like, you know, that's, you know. And anyway, I had these dogs with me, and I was laying in the shallow creek, and a little um, branch above me and a squirrel crawled up above the branch and just looked at me. And the, and the way I felt with the dogs there and that squirrel there, suddenly I was riveted by the feeling of knowing that I was safe. Hmm. And I had never, ever not only felt that, but I'd never acknowledged that I felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. Right. I'd never acknowledged, and it was on LSD that I was like, okay, it all melted away. I'm safe here. Right. And it's, na- it's nature. It's it, well, specifically animals. Yeah. I was going to ask, eventually I was going to ask, you know, dogs. Yeah. Where that all came Well, I from. mean, I all, you know, apparently I just used to like pick them up everywhere because I, I filled my house with like my dad's house with like animals. And it's like, um, you know, I was pretty obsessed, you know, like with, um, animals. And I think that, uh, Again, I was able to um, feel something with animals that I never could with people. And, you know, there was a lot of um, people would look down on us. They would think that, you know, they were confused by us, the way we were living. They were, like, you know, horrified at my condition. So not only was I, like, whether I was being abused, but there was also this other weird relationship with other people, like, where they were, like, didn't know what to make of us we Being were like judged yeah, yeah yeah but it was like I didn't understand you know you know and um I remember there was a, a big party at my dad's house and there was this um a giant Doberman in the house and I didn't know that dog right I, it is just some roommate that he had and it was a they had a big dog house inside the house right and there was some Buddy there who was following me around in a in a really skeezy manner that is like really like made me uncomfortable and he was like trying to like touch me and you know corner me and I was like uh uh-uh. uh I I can't um I can't deal with this and right. I I um, went upstairs and I like crawled over to the doghouse and I crawled in the doghouse with that big Doberman and she stood up like inside the house and looked at me and then. Within a minute, she just immediately just laid her body down. She knew I needed to be there. Yeah, she took you into her yeah. den. She literally. knew. Yeah. At first, she was, like, alarmed, and then immediately she knew I needed to be there. Yeah. And I just curled up in there with her, you know? Would you say, it sounds like you've just always kind of been drawn to dogs. Well, it's all like animals. A- I would find pigeons on the street with, like, hurt wings, or and I would carry them around with me and, like, give them little snacks and water until they were ready to fly away. I would spend hours, like, all day crawling underneath, like, old abandoned houses to get to, like, kittens that were under the house that were, like, crawling with fleas. And I would just spend hours, and I would just pull them out. I would, like, start pulling fleas off of them, and I would be covered with fleas, too. But, you know. So, yeah. Animals, uh, you know... 
years later, when I was living out in the junkyards and abandoned buildings out in the South of Market, I would hang out with the junkyard dogs. That was Those were my, like, friend. I would walk down the railroad tracks, and they'd all be, like, walking with me through the moonlight in this abandoned, like, dirty part of town. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd crawl the fence into the, like, auto wreckers yard and be, like, piled up wrecked cards and me and the and the and the and the guard dogs man <laughs> you know it's amazing and and the raccoons you know they would come and i would give them like i'd leave a donut or like a piece of butter or whatever food that i had like i'd like leave it out for them and they'd like well they can pick it up they could pick it up they'd like <laughs> look in the curtain i'd be living in these old abandoned warehouses and they'd like peek in and mm-hmm. they'd like see that i left them something you know so you're living with your dad yeah you have your lsd experience yeah your squirrel and experience i was really um at that point i really knew that i was on a different path i i couldn't stay there i my dad was like married getting and the person didn't particularly love having me there i i felt and uh you know i i was having a hard time um connecting you know I was in school but not really doing well and this one day I went to school I was I just finished I was in the fifth grade I just walked away and never came back and um you know what was I like 12 13 12 13 something like that so I I lived with my dad for a couple years but it was a really tumultuous is that how you say that yeah yeah it was chaos Mm -hmm. and it was I created chaos but it was chaos. You came from chaos. I came from chaos. I am the child of chaos. Yeah. Chaos is a friend of mine. But it's interesting because the squirrel and the snails, and and I think I consider dogs. A the cal- dogs a, a took cal- me a home. Calming, a calming. One hundred percent. I felt like safe. The dogs were all grounding. around me, and then when it's time to go home, they told me, and they mm-hmm. took me home. Mm-hmm. You know. Lit- that literally happened. Literally. Or? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then another time, I was, and I swear that these are all true and real experiences because I was one of those weird drug addicts that like was completely like in my like I was there I was like aware I wasn't like hallucinating and out of my mind right I was just like very present Mm -hmm. and you know I was walking up the canyon and there was like 15 cats just like following me and like darting in and out of cars and like like but maybe not 15 but at least five (laughs) but it's like you know I always felt like I was um animals were like Buffering me, guiding me through this world. Isn't it? Is it? Am I crazy? Is it Saint Francis who yeah. was the the yeah, yeah. patron saint of animals? Yeah, yeah. So sorry, I just had to make that. Connection. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, for and obvious then, reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds like you've always been like that. Yeah. Right. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. I left my dad's house. I um, <clears throat> I started living in a um a tree house in between Gate Five and Gate Six in Sausalito. Um, I lived um an old abandoned like half sunken there was a boat called the owl boat it was a um a mansion that had half sunken and i would row in there at night and i'd go up the spiral staircase and i would sleep in this weird little beautiful round room that was all stained glass but the owls that lived inside would like swoop down and swoop down like while you were rowing in it was like magic like a movie you're like rowing into this half sunken houseboat and then crawling up these like stairs and you know and the birds just gliding through the dark, through the night, you know? And um, I lived in places that most people might find terrifying. And I felt safe and, that, and, pre- and home, you know, right. home in my heart wherever I was in right. those times, you know? Um, uh, back, back in Sausalito, there was these big parties out on the barge with a 
terrible band called the Red Legs. I think they're still around, so hopefully they don't hear this. But the Red oh Legs, the Red Legs, the Red Legs. They were like red a legs. bad biker band. Okay, and they would like be like Susie Q and all the covers and stuff. And they were like, you know, so they play all the time out on this barge out in the middle of the bay there. And a blind man in a rowboat, you'd whistle, and he'd come. With his dog. He had his dog. But it wasn't a seeing eyes dog. It was just his dog. Right. And he was a blind man in a rowboat. And you would jump in the rowboat and he would, like, take you out to the barge. And then it, it was like a ruckus party with, like, big holes, though, in the barge. Like, that you could fall through to the bay if you didn't, like, pay attention. And a big wood-burning stove. And it's like, Lord knows how we didn't all burn down. But it was, like, total, like, insanity, but fun, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you wanted to leave and you would whistle and the guy would come out with his boat. Unless he fell asleep and then you were, like, stuck out there till whenever, right? And um, so... That was, um, I, I kind of went like from this world of like m magic, crazy, gypsy, weird, like, you know, the world was just like spiritually on fire back then, mm -hmm. you know, the seventies, you know, the music and the world, right? Anyway. Your immediate world or are you talking about? The world, my immediate world, but I think the world in general, like people out on the street and Everybody was an individual and everybody had like this weird like ability to be magical and it's like you know like there was a little coffee shop where you just like everything was free and you just like walked in like how do places like that even exist right? right right and it's like but not only that like you're walking down the street and it's like there's a guy with gold lame hot pants dancing in the middle of the street and it's like that's just a thing and there was a million things and this person like just like it was there was a lot of drugs, you know, but still there was a lot of freedom to be before everybody really just like crumbled apart with like cocaine right. and got like anxious and, and edgy and the world and got wanted little... jobs. And yeah, all this yeah. Ambition and right, shit. Yeah. Right. But um, you speak of the 80s. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway, the world. How did you survive the 80s? Oh, yeah. That's a whole other thing. So um, so I, I was living in Marin like kind of bouncing around like wherever I lived I don't know who knows I just lived and maybe stayed with people maybe slept outside I don't know I think I was like staying with people probably but, a mix yeah, yeah yeah but it's like um and I um I had some kind of a weird heartbreaking there was a couple of people that had committed suicide and mm -hmm. in the in the circle of people I was in you know and I I uh Oh, yeah. It was like during that time I was like hopping trains with the hobos up and down the Eel River and like doing all these like really like incredible journeys in my life. And then, you know, there was some really like bad hardships that came up. And I, 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 I was in a really heartbreaking relationship. Like this dude was just really aggressive and like threw me off a roof and, you know, just like smashed me through like glass tables. And mm -hmm. it was just bad. And then he met some girl at a bar and got like told me to move out and got like married to her and I was like oh gosh so anyway I was you know you know how it is you know and um so I I uh I don't know how I got there but I just went to LA okay and I oh my dad had given me an original wax pressing of a DOA album okay. like a, when it first came out and he's like you're gonna like these guys you know you're gonna like you're this is gonna be your thing was he's he into, a, was he into punk he wasn't he was okay. into everything but he knew me he just knew right he knows so me right. you know he yeah. knew me on a level like me and him we you know he we had a you know he knew me Got you it. know you got it he you gave me you. this like DOA record okay. record he's like you're this is for you and it's like 
you know, I heard that and my something just shifted. And I don't know why I decided to go to L.A. I don't know how I got there, but I like hired up to be like I got hired to be somebody's like living like nanny. And I like met these punk rock kids. You know, I was living in this place they call Brea Beach. Mm-hmm. And it's like that was like uh, there was this band called The Afflicted. Mm-hmm. And um um, I just like shaved my head on a Huntington Beach freeway and dyed it black, like black hair. And I like streaked down my face. I'm like, I don't yeah. care. Washed it off in the beach and the ocean, right? I mm-hmm. was like, and that was like the beginning of this world of like punk rock, man. Punk rock saved my life. That was Paley Boucher. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, Paley will bring us back to the city and tell the story of how she started her nonprofit dog rescue. Please join us for part two on Thursday. Music for Storied San Francisco is by Otis McDonald. Photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. The show is hosted and produced by me. Michelle and I have produced more than 120 episodes over the last three years, and you can find them all over at our website, storiedsf.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well as just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Please subscribe to stay up to date on all the content we publish. And if you have any feedback for us, or you just want to say hi, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay healthy. Stay healthy.